Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We thank you again for the Bible, the living, breathing word of God. Uh, Make this the most attentive hour of our week. I know it's been a long day for a lot of us, myself included. And it's so good to sit at your feet and spend time in your presence and study your word. We ask that you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So 1 Kings, we talked briefly last week. The first and second Samuel was really focused on the life of Samuel, Saul, and David. And first and second Samuel only covers about a hundred years. In first and second Kings over the next several months, we're going to cover about 500 years in the time of, in the time of Israel. And we're going to start, we started to see last week that the transition from David to Solomon. And if you were not here last week, what a great chapter. A lot of verses, but a great chapter. And I titled the message, Living Every Day in Light of Eternity, because David was at the end of his life. And unless we get the rapture option, we're all going to die one day. Can I get an amen? I'm ready for the rapture. Can I, can I get an amen to that? I'd come quickly, Lord Jesus. Tonight works for me. That would be great. But we saw last week just how David was at the end of his life, so much so that he had to be cared for. He had to have a nurse. If you remember, they gave him a, a woman to use as an electric blanket. I'm not so sure that's a great idea. Um, but they called for a young, beautiful woman. She's going to be in the story again tonight. And while David was down for the count, one of his sons, Adonijah, tried to take the throne, just like his brother Absalom had done before him. And we know that when he tried to take the throne, he just basically took it by creating a parade for himself and then having like a, a party and a, and a big feast to, to welcome him as the king, even though he wasn't appointed a king. And finally, we know that the prophet went and told him, David, did you know? And he got his wife to come and speak to him about Sheba and let, let him know that they're trying to take the kingdom from him while he was down for the count. And God gave him the strength to wake up. He, uh, put Solomon where he belonged. He did it immediately. And so we pick up tonight in chapter two. And as we pick up tonight, we're going to see David's last words in the Bible. David's going to speak to his son, Solomon, and he's going to prepare him for the fact that he is now going to be the king. He's already placed him on the throne. Everybody knows he's the rightful king. And we saw last week that Adonijah had to, uh, he was holding, remember that he thought he was going to die because he would have killed, he would have killed uh, his brother if he had not made him, if he would have killed Solomon if he had become king. Because usually when you become king, especially if you're not the rightful king, you kill everybody else that might have a claim to the throne. And Bathsheba may have died as well. But we saw that Solomon showed his brother grace, but he's going to come back into the scene tonight. If you have your outline, grab it. I titled the message, Giving Ministry Away. And the reality is that my old pastor used to say the sign of a successful ministry is not how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. And while David was an amazing king, he was not a very good dad. But now he gets a chance as a father to speak one last time into his son's life. And what's interesting to me is David has been king for decades. And now he has a brief amount of time to prepare his son. Now Solomon, as we come to this chapter, is a teenager. So Solomon is not 35 years old. Solomon, most believe, is between the ages of 16 and 18. So imagine your dad is King David. David who slayed Goliath. Saul, you know, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. David, who was this mighty warrior, used mightily by God. And now you're taking his place and you're a teenager. And not only are you taking his place, 
but he's not even going to be around to give you any advice. And so tonight's chapter is his last chance to give Solomon some advice. And as we see a father speaking to his son, it's a great example for all of us as to what our priorities ought to be. Because one thing we know about David, he was a good king, but he was a flawed man. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible describes him as the greatest king Israel ever had and the most mighty warrior. And there's many things to be said about David that I love. I love that he would be out watching the sheep when nobody was watching and being willing to lay down his life for the sheep, for his father's sheep, by the way, not his own. That's sure a picture of Jesus, isn't it? Laying down his life for his father's sheep when nobody else is watching. He would be out there singing praise songs to the Lord. He, most, he read at least 73 of the Psalms that are in the Bible. So he's a worship, he's a guy of worship. He's a man who, when they were fighting Goliath and everybody was scared to death, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was the only one that went out fearlessly and fought when everybody else was afraid. So there's so many things I love about David, but we also know that David had a problem with his passion. Can I get an amen to that? Like many men in the Bible, he had a problem with women. And because of that, he continued, you know, we know that he eventually got in the place where he'd won so many battles, he became complacent. He wasn't out in the battle. And what did he do? He slept in and he got up in the middle of the day and looked out and saw Bathsheba bathing. He knew that she was married. He took her anyway. She became pregnant. He tried to bring her husband back to make it look like he may have impregnated her. And Uriah, being a godly man, said, how can I go in and have the comfort of my wife when my, all my brothers are out there still fighting? And because of that, he sent Uriah to the front of the line, basically murdering him by having him put into a place where he could not survive. So David thought he was getting away with it. Nathan came and, com and confronted him, and he told him that because of what he had done, that there was going to be, that a sword would never leave his household. And we saw in the coming weeks that one of his sons, Amnon, raped one of his daughters. And then Absalom, because David did nothing about it, Absalom kills his brother Amnon. Then Absalom tries to overthrow David, gets into a war with David over the throne. David tried to withdraw because he didn't want his son to die. Joab ends up killing his son or being a part of getting his son killed. So David's family's a mess. And then last week we saw that yet another one of his sons tried to take the throne. So now all that, that David's been through, I'm sharing all this with you to say, so what in the world after decades of being a king, after running from King Saul for a decade, after living in caves, he even had a time where he got a bunch of priests killed because he lied. He had a time when he went and hung out with the enemy. So his life's kind of all over the map. But the word of God says of David that he's a man after God's own heart. How's that possible? Because even though he was a man who was flawed in many ways, he was also a man who had a deep love for the Lord. And he was a man who had a heart to please God. He was a man who repented when he blew it. And it's good to know that we can repent and be restored. Can I get an amen to that? We're all sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. So tonight's chapter begins. Solomon is on the throne. Adonijah, having failed his coup to take the throne by force, as was shown grace by his brother Solomon. He's told him basically, you know, be a good guy from this point forward. You won't have any problems. If you, if you take another step toward the throne again, you're going to die. And that warning we're going to see is going to be put into effect tonight. So I titled the message again, giving ministry away. First, we're going to see godly advice for the next generation. Now, this applies to both men and women, but this is going to be spoken from a man's perspective because this is David talking to his son. 
And the first thing that he said, he's going to teach them in the first four verses, he's going to tell them, prove yourself a man. And we're going to spend a little time on this because the world defines what a man is a lot different than the way the Bible defines what a man is. Amen? And the world has a definition for a man, and most of it is ungodly stuff that men try to use to, to measure themselves against other men. And we're going to see that God's word has a different definition for what a man should be. Number two, be faithful to carry out your father's unfinished work. One of the things that happened when I planted the church in Santa Cruz, my dad had pastored a church in Santa Cruz. It had grown pretty large. And then he went to San Jose to help another pastor. That church got really small and ended up moving to another city and, and went down to just a handful of people. People. And when I went back to pastor another church in Santa Cruz, we actually started back in the same building where my dad had been 15 years earlier. And I remember my dad and I having dinner. He had tears running down his face and he said, son, I'm so thankful that God sent you back to finish the work that your dad started. You know, that's the same thing that's come, happening here because David is going to go from being king and now his son's going to be the king. And he's got a calling to finish what his dad started. We're going to find out sadly as we go through the book that he does a horrible job of it. Number three, there is a day coming when ministry will be in your hands. See, the next generation, one thing that you learn is, is all of us, you can't stop time. We're all getting older. And I was thinking about this, and I'll talk about it as I go through the text a little bit. But I used to be the one seeking my dad's help, and now I'm the dad who get, who's, and the grandpa who is on the other end of those phone calls. And even my siblings call me because our dad's not here anymore, and I'm kind of the patriarch of our family, if you will. And it just feels so odd to be in that position. And the same is true for all of us. We, there's a time when the ministry may, may be where we're helping in a ministry and now eventually that ministry is going to be in our hands and it's our turn to serve the Lord. Number four, uh, be a man or a woman of your, of your word. You know, we're going to see in tonight's text, several people are going to face some righteous judgment, and there's several reasons why. One of them is they gave their word, they did not follow through on their word, and righteous judgment came. If you are faithful to the word, if you're faithful to God's commands, God will bless you. If you're unfaithful to the vows and the commands you made before God, righteous judgment is coming. We'll see number five, be gracious whenever possible. One of my favorite sayings, I say it a lot, is I, I, I want to err on the side of grace. I'd rather err on the side of being too gracious than being uh, too self-righteous, if you will. Amen? Showing grace to others. Grace for everyone else, holiness for me. That's kind of the credo I use is that it's, I want to show grace to everyone else, but I want to hold myself to a holy standard. Most people, it's grace for me and holiness for everyone else. They want everyone else to be perfect, and then they want to have everyone else show them grace. But we're going to see be gracious whenever possible. We'll see the last two points. Your sin will find you out, and know that a man's true character will reveal itself over time. So let's begin there in verse 1. We're going to be in the first four verses for a little bit. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. So we had talked about last week that he was toward the end of his life. Now he's at the end of his life. He literally has hours, maybe days, depending on the way this is written. So his, his life is coming to an end. And when I read through scripture, I try to put myself in the place of each person in the, in the chapter. And so I imagine myself, first of all, being the son who's about to become king, and I'm a teenager, and my father who is a legendary king, who's a mighty king, who they sing songs about, has been used mightily by the Lord, and I've watched him. And now all of that weight, everything he's done is now going to be on me. And now I have 
just a, a small amount of time to get advice from my dad. I imagine being that young man trying to get that advice from my father and saying, tell me everything you can in preparation. You've been a king for 40 years. I've been a king for 40 minutes and I need some help. But I also imagine being the father and the father looking at his precious son and he knows he's not been the kind of dad he should have been, but he has one last chance to give his son some godly instruction. And I imagine it's heavy on his heart as he wants to take what wisdom he has in that short amount of time he has it. So with everything David's been through, what is David going to say to his son? And how is his son going to receive it? So David's preparing to meet the Lord face to face. He spent decades, again, as the greatest king Israel ever had. And Solomon has his whole life in front of him. He has spent only a few weeks as king. And David is the only man alive that knows all the things that were coming Solomon's way. See, only David could look at him and say, they're going to betray you. David, there are going to be people that come against you. David, you're going to have weak moments where you need to trust in the Lord. David, there's going to be, there's Solomon, there's going to be battles that come along your way, Solomon. And David's going to be sharing all this. And he's the only one that gets it. Because the, the last king before him is Saul and he's dead. So David's the only one that can share this message with his son, and his son needs to be ready to hear it. David's final words of advice should carry very great weight in Solomon's ears, and David, while a flawed man and a poor father, was a great king. David was anointed king as a teenager, just like Solomon. David knows what it's like to be a teenager and be anointed king, but when David was anointed king, he didn't, become, he didn't get onto the throne for over a decade. He spent all that time running from Saul because Saul saw how anointed David was. He saw God's hand on David. He tried to kill David. He was throwing spears at David at the dinner table more than once. If you throw a spear at me when I come to your house for dinner, I'm not coming back. But David kept going there and knowing that he was in God's hands. And he never took the spear out and threw it back at Saul. And he would never try to take the kingdom away because he knew that God raised him up and God would take him down. And that's a lesson he no doubt wanted to teach to Solomon. David was a teenager. David knew what it was like. When they sing songs about him, Saul is slayed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And David showed great resolve again in waiting for God's timing to become the king David's, Israel's greatest king and mightiest warrior, was also a flawed man. We mentioned it, that he, his lie cost priests their lives. He encamped with the very enemy. He ceased to go out into battle. We, hold, we know all of his failures and all of his flaws. But now as he's finishing his life, he wants to finish strong. He wants to finish well. Adonijah had tried to steal the throne. David could not control his passions. And we're going to see that Solomon is going to have a greatest, his greatest problem is going to be in the same area where his dad had his greatest problem. And that's what I want to say to the moms and dads in the room or those that will be someday. You need to know that your behavior is going to impact your children. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. I'm so thankful that I had a front row seat to Johnny Johnston, my dad's life, for 54 years. And when, my, when I went to Hawaii in August of 2017, uh, I was there, it was actually before that, he died in August. I was there about six weeks beforehand and I was getting ready to leave to go to the airport. And, you know, because I was going about every six weeks to see my mom and dad. My mom has, had Alzheimer's, my dad had dementia, my dad was blind, and they were living in Hawaii where my brother lives. And I was getting ready to go to the airport, and I just, I know it was the Lord, just prompted my heart to go back in and tell my dad how much I appreciated him. 
And my wife actually videotaped it. My dad was in a wheelchair. I got down on my knees and looked at my dad and told him for an hour how much I appreciated him. And he spoke back to me. It was the last time I ever talked to my dad. But you know what? He's in heaven, and I'm going to see him again. Can I get an amen? But I just remember that, that, that talk that we had, and I kind of imagine, you know, this is much more magnified because I wasn't becoming king, right? But just imagine that's that talk, that's that discussion where you know this is the last, I can't, he's not going to be able to come and get David's advice in a month. He's not going to be able to come when the, when the next enemy rises up, when the next person tries to come in and, and, you know, betray him. And he needs to learn now all that he needs to be and what he needs to turn to. And we're going to see that David is going to give him advice. Look at verse, the rest of verse one. It says, and he charged Solomon, his son, saying, he charged his son. I love that. He literally sat down and kind of handed it over to his son. And he gave him, you know, with, a, with some force. He shares this with his son and he's going to share it with them in a very direct, in a very bold, in a very blunt way. Even though David is feeble at the moment, even though David is hours away from dying, when he speaks into his son's life, he's going to speak with great boldness. And here's what he says. I, am, I go the way of all the earth. Be, there, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Man, I like that. Hey, son, be a man. Be a man. Be strong. Be a man. I know you're a teenager. I know you're not full grown yet. I know you have some growing to do physically and spiritually, but you know what? You're becoming king today and you need to be a man today. You can't wait till tomorrow. It's time to man up, if you will. I'm dying. I'm going the way of the world. And again, outside of the rapture, it's coming for all of us. Be strong. You're going to take my place. You need to step up and be strong. Now prove yourself a man. It doesn't say, I love this because I looked it up in Hebrew. It doesn't say, prove yourself a male. It says, prove yourself a man. Anybody can be a male or a female. Amen. You're born that way. It's something you inherit. It's one thing to be male and it's another thing to be a man. Can I get an amen to that? We got a lot of males out there who are not men and they're certainly not godly men and they're certainly not manning up. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to see his definition of a man that's a lot different than the world's definition of a man. You know, the world, defi- by the way, you know what makes you a man? A white chromosome. That's it. It makes you a male. But it doesn't make you a man. Here's the world's definition of a man. Can you hold your liquor? How much can you drink? Man, I can drink that guy under the table, man. I'm a man. Oh, you're an idiot is what you are. You're a drunkard. You got a problem, bro. Here's another thing that's so disgusting as a father of daughters and daughter-in-law now. Uh, how many women can you convince to sleep with you? That makes you a man. Oh, it makes you a, a dogs do that. Can I get an amen to that? Godly men don't do that. Godly men protect the woman. Can I get an amen? And you treat her like your sister until she's your wife. And until you walk her down the aisle, you keep your stinking hands to yourself. And if you need some, you know, someone else is violating that, we got some big pastors here who'd love to get involved. Can I get an amen? How can you handle yourself in a fist fight? That makes you a man. Uh, How do you swear? Can you dominate others? How proud and arrogant and cocky can you be? The world's definition, again, is more fitting for a dog than a man. And that's not what a godly man looks like. That's what a worldly man looks like. A worldly male looks like. He's not a man at all. Can I get an amen to that? And so he's giving these instructions. Prove yourself a man. Man up, son. It's time. 
No time for you to be a teenager anymore. As of today, you're a man. As of today, you're the man that's overseeing all of the greatest nation in the world. God's people are in your hands. King Solomon, and it's time for you to man up. In light of the decades of all the things that he's learned, David's definition of a man is far different than the world's definition. David was a courageous warrior, fearless when others were fearful. What a, what made him a a man, a man for God's own heart, was his love for the Lord. So how does David instruct his son to prove himself a man? Look at verse two. Verse three, excuse me. Prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Here's how a godly man is a man. The way that a man proves himself a man is to walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen? A godly man follows the word of God. A godly man is obedient to the word of God. A godly man spends time on his knees praying and interceding on behalf of his family. A godly man provides for his family. A godly man protects his family. A godly man serves his family. Can I get an amen to that? And we live in a world today where you've got men who aren't working and their wives are working two jobs. They're not men, they're males, only because they got a white chromosome and it's time for them to man up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? And here, here's, here's the king telling his son, here's how you become a man. Here's how you prove yourself a man. You walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, today, was David successful always in walking in the ways of the Lord? What's the answer? He wasn't. He had failed miserably. But you know what? You can learn from experience, and it doesn't always need to be your own. See, David had failed in so many ways and he didn't want his son to fail. So after all these years and all the the victories, but also all the failures, when he's got the last moments to speak into his son's life, he tells him, follow the Lord. Amen? Obey his word. Keep his commands. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Don't get distracted by the world. You be a godly man. Because see, here's the reality. Real men love Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And godly men love the Lord. And godly men serve the Lord. And godly men are servants. They lead by serving. And that's what he's calling his son to do, to keep his judgments, to keep his testimonies as written in the law of Moses. See, the only way that Solomon could obey the law of Moses, he had to know what it said. Amen? Amen. And the only way a godly man can be a godly man is he's got to know what the word of God says, because you can't obey it if you don't read it. Amen? We need to open it, read it, and obey it to be the men that God has called us to be. Keep charge of the Lord your God. The way a man proves himself a man, a godly man, is to walk in the ways of the Lord. Guys, that's in direct contrast to the direct, to the flesh-driven world we live in today. Amen? If you're following the Lord today, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. If you're a godly man who respects and and honors women and, and is a faithful to his, bo- to his, to his wife and is, is the hardest worker in the building and is a man of morality and a man of godly character and a man of integrity. Sadly, you're one in a million today and we need more men like that. Amen? Amen. And that's exactly what he's telling his son, Solomon. If you're going to be successful as king, it's not going to be because you're going to be a great warrior. It's not going to be because you've got great wisdom, though you're going to get that later on when you ask for it. It's because you will be successful if you're a man of God. 
If you're a man who loves God more than anything, a man who serves God when nobody else will, a man who puts the flesh to death every single day and walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the only way you're going to be used mildly by God is to be a man who's surrendered fully to God. Amen? Hey, single ladies who are here, let me encourage you. Don't settle for anything less than a man like that. Can I get an amen? We need men who are willing to go against the flow. You've heard me say it. Any dead fish can go go with the flow, right? And we need to be different than the world, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to put to death daily our flesh and its desires, to obey God and his word, even if nobody else will, to be brave enough to stand for what's right and against what is wrong. I posted this on my Facebook page. It was kind of controversial. It was... It was uh, the anniversary of when Tyndale was burned at the stake for putting the Bible in English yesterday. And I put a post up there that said, this man went burnt, was burned alive at the stake, was put to death for inter- putting the word of God into English. He suffered for it. And we have pastors today that won't even open up church. Do we need a little boldness? Look, I'm not trying to bag on everybody. Everybody's circumstance is different. But if the pastors don't stand up for church, who's going to? If the pastors don't stand up for righteousness, who in the world's going to? Can I get an amen to that? And we need to, look, guys, we need to be fear, fearless, right? We need to walk in the fear of God, but fearless when it comes to men. We need to obey God. Let's man up. And that's the exhortation that he has here. And then it says at the end of that verse, look, if you, if you obey his judgments, if you obey his statutes, if you obey his commandments and his testimony, if you know what the law of Moses says and you do it, he says that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority, amen? And if, God, if you're on the Lord's side, that's the only side you need to be on. And so he said, look, if you walk with the Lord, if you obey the Lord, you'll be prosperous. Now, we're going to find out Solomon's going to be the richest man on the planet. But that's not the prosperous he's really talking about. He's talking about a, prosper, you know, a prosperity that goes beyond this life. A prosperity that impacts eternity, that you may prosper in all you do. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? We can't walk in disobedience. We can't walk in rebellion and expect God to bless us. We can't have a relationship that's not honoring to the Lord and expect God to bless it. We can't be dishonest at work and expect God to bless it. We can't be someone who never opens up the word of God and doesn't spend any intimate time with the Lord and expect God to bless our relationship with him. Guys, we're as close to God as we want to be. He doesn't move away from us. We move away from him. And it starts with opening your Bible. Look, I get it. I have a full-time job that's pretty demanding. And I, I pastor a church, which I love. And I would, I, this is the place I'd rather be than anywhere in the world. It's a get to, not a have to. But guys, it just takes discipline. Amen? And it, that's the kind of discipline that he's instructing his son. Look at verse 4. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Here's what it is. A promise God made to King David was, As long as your family continues to walk in my ways, continues to faithfully serve me, continues to be men of God, then Israel will never cease to have someone from your family on the throne. Guess what? It's not going to get very far. Because he's got all this stuff he's telling Solomon to do, he's going to do none of it. 
And I know in the Bible you read that Solomon was a wise man, and he was. But you know what? He's a, here's how I describe him. He was a man of great wisdom that he didn't apply any of it to himself. He had great wisdom for everybody else. He was great at counseling everyone else's marriage while he had a thousand women. He's a man who was able to give instruction to other people and, and he would, they would bring great debates in front of him and he would give this wise counsel and the people would walk away blown away, but he couldn't manage his own life. And there's a lot of people like that are really good at managing everyone else's life, but their own life's a mess. And we're going to see that Solomon is flawed. He's going to take his dad's flaws and multiply them times a hundred. And we're going to see that Solomon, because of his pagan wives later on, he's going to fall away from God completely. He should have heeded these verses right here. Amen. This is what David had told him. These are the last words coming from his dad. What would, parents, what would you say to your kids if you had three minutes left, you knew you were going to heaven? What would you say to your children if they're around your deathbed? What would you say? And, I, and you know what? For every one of us who believers, all we would say is love Jesus. Follow him with your whole heart. I want to see you in heaven. Can I get an Amen. Just follow the Lord. I don't care how much money you make. Work hard at your job. We should do that as unto the Lord. But the things that we think are measures of success, when we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, he's not going to care how big our house was or how much money we had or what kind of car we drove or how much we could bench press or whatever else, right? And these things that we think are measures of success. And again, I, w- I want to be the best worker in my building because that honors the Lord when I do that, Amen. And whatever you, you know, if you're in school, be the best student. If you're, if you're uh, working at a job, be the best worker there. If you're retired, be, be a great, use that time you have to minister to other people. So let's be faithful with that time that we have. But he's letting him know that the Lord has made a promise to us. Solomon, your sons can be king after you. And their sons after your sons and their sons after that. If each one of us will just faithfully fulfill what God has commanded us to do. If we keep God on the throne, if we recognize we're submitted to him, if we walk in his ways and his statutes, if we don't get away from the word of God, if we don't get caught up. Because again, if you're king, you can do whatever you want. And sadly, for most kings, that's not good. He's instructing him in God's promises if they would be mindful of the path they take, walk before the Lord with all their heart. And again, after decades, his final words to his son were keep charge of the Lord and walk in obedience to his word. His last thing he says to Solomon, he's going to give him some warnings here to finish up, but he's basically telling him, you need to obey God. I I blew it. Don't blow it. Don't don't follow my footpath. There were times I walked with the Lord, but there were times when I walked away from him. Don't make that same mistake, Solomon. Unfortunately, he's not going to take that counsel. So point number one, godly advice for the next generation, giving ministry away. Prove yourself a man. Obey God and walk in his word. Only possible as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Point number two, be faithful to carry out your father's unfinished work. So now David has had some relationships with different men, that he knows that while he has had the ability to have these relationships and keep these men from doing him harm, because David's a really strong guy, he's very concerned about these same men in Solomon's life. Because now he's going to have these men who've been serving, who've been leading for decades, and Solomon's a teenager. 
And it would be so easy for them to take advantage of him. And so he's going to give him some warnings. Let's begin there in verse 5. Moreover, know also, know also that Joab, the son of Zariah, what the son of Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me. And what he did to two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and his sandals that were on his feet. Here's what he's telling him. Now, Joab, we've talked about this. If you were here for First and Second Samuel, Joab is an enigma because Joab was a fiercely loyal man when it came to David, he always did what he thought was best for David. He would lay down his life for David, but he also would not do what David commanded because he would think he knew better than David. He was told to make sure Absalom stayed safe. And what did he do when he was caught in the thicket, ran a sp- and then got all the guys out to end his life? He's killing these, these two men he mentioned here, Abner and Amasa. These were men who were on David's side and he put them both to death because often Joab, while loyal to David, thought he knew better than David. And David knew how to keep Joab at arm's length. But remember when Adonijah tried to overthrow and take the, the throne just in the previous chapter, who was on his side? Joab was on his side. And that was the last straw for David. And here's what he says in verse six, what he says. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. What's he telling him to do? Kill him. Put him to death. Now, you read through this and it might look like David's making Solomon do all his dirty work at the end of his life. But that's not the case at all. What he's doing is having him obey what the law says. The Bible says in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it says, if you, take, if you shed innocent blood, your blood shall be shed. Deuteronomy 19.11 tells us. And so he's saying that if you, kill, if you slay innocent blood, your blood will be shed. And Joab had been able to continue on, even though he had done it multiple times. And now having seen what Joab did, trying to help Adonijah overthrow the throne that belonged to Solomon, he lets him know, you need to put this guy to death because if you don't, he's going to be trouble. And so he tells him that he needs to do that. Now, we're going to see if Solomon obeys what he's called to do. We're going to see if he does what his father is warning him about because his father has had some wisdom. His father's had some people close to him come against him. But notice, not only does he, does he warn him about Joab, he reminds him of another family that had been a blessing to him that he wanted to make sure Solomon continued to bless them. Look at verse 7. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Giladite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. If you were here five chapters ago, six chapters ago, whenever it was, David's running for his life from Absalom. He could have defeated Absalom, but he didn't want to fight Absalom. Absalom's his son. I'm not going to go to battle with my son. He doesn't want to go to battle with his own son. He'd rather let his son take the kingdom. So he fled to regroup and figure out a way that he could get the kingdom back without killing his son. And as he's running for his life, it happened so quickly, he didn't have food for his mighty men. And along the way, he meets this man, Barzillai, who was a wealthy man, who came out with donkeys loaded with supplies to feed all of David's men. 
And the thing about this is this guy's a, a Gentile. David's not even technically his king. And he does this anyway out of the kindness of his heart. And it could have cost him his life. If Absalom had won the battle and found out he had helped him, he probably would have been dead. So after David won the battle, after Absalom had died and he was back on the throne, he runs into Barzillai and he says to him, come live with me. Let me take care of you for the rest of your life. And Barzillai, it's hilarious what he says is, look, I can barely see, so I can't enjoy the shows and I, 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 can't, I can't really hear, so I'm not going to enjoy the music that you have up in the temple, up in the uh, castle. And, but take my son. So his son goes to live with David and becomes part of the family. And so David's dying and he still remembers the nice thing that man did for him many years earlier. And he says, I want to make sure not only do you take care of Joab because he slid in his shed innocent blood, but I also want you to take care of Barzillai's family and you make sure they're taken really good care of because they were such a blessing to us when we were hurting. David's last wish is not only looking for those who had harmed him, but also looking out for those who've been such a blessing to him. Verse 8, and see you have with you Shimei. Remember him? If you were here, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me, a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. And if you remember this, when David's running for his life, Shimei is running along the embankment, cussing at David. Because Shimei was related to King Saul. And he believed the Benjamites would still be on the throne. And now David's running for his life and Shimei's cussing at him and throwing rocks at King David. And he's cussing, oh, you dirty dog, I told you about young. He's like, you never should have been kingdom again. He's throwing stuff at him. And if you remember one of David's mighty men, what did he want to do? He's like, can I just go kill that guy and shut him up, please? Just keep walking, I'll catch up. Can I just go wipe that dude out? And David said, no, leave him alone. It's okay. Now, when David wins the battle, he's coming back to Jerusalem. Guess who runs to meet him? Shimei's like, oh, hey, dude, I was just joking. <laughs> I was just kidding. Uh, my bad. <laughs> uh, can you forgive me, please? And David, and that, remember the same guy that wanted to kill him on the way out of town, wanted to kill him on the way back in. He goes, there's that guy. He's, now he's close. Can I just kill him, please? And David says, no, don't kill him. But notice now what he says here. Look at verse 9. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You know you ought to do what you ought to do to him, but bring this gray hair down to the grave with blood. Wait a minute. David, David made a covenant with Shimei, but I guess it did not last David's life. Because David was concerned that Shimei was the guy who was one of the leaders in the tribe of Benjamin, and he figured he might try to overthrow Solomon. So that guy's got to go, and he's already earned it. Joab's a guy who's, who's betrayed King David's family, you know, King David and gone with the other people trying to usurp the authority. That guy's got to go. What's he trying to do? He's trying to protect his son because he knows once he's gone that Solomon's going to be on his own and there are going to be those coming after him. And that's the heart of a father, right? Hey, I may be passing away, but I want you to do well after I've been gone a long time. That last meeting with my dad as I was talking to him and I had tears running down my face and he, uh, pretty amazing. I, I went to plant a church in Santa Cruz. My dad had been a pastor for 50 years. And my dad left a very large church where he was a pastor 
to come help me plant a brand new church in Santa Cruz and serve as my assistant. You want to talk about humbling. My dad got a job at the company I worked for. He sat in the cubicle next to me. So for about 10 years, my dad was my assistant pastor and we worked together. We went to lunch together. My dad was my best friend. My dad and I would talk on the phone all the time. And we always would say to each other, finish strong on the phone. And he was such a great godly example. I understand what it means to be a godly husband, a godly man, a, a man who works hard at his job. He was a CEO of a company and pastoring a large church at the same time. I wonder where I got that. Can I get an amen? And you follow that example that you see in front of you. Amen. And when he was talking to me, you know, all he had to, he, you know, and uh, it just tore me up. He said, son, I'm just so proud of you. You know, you're being faithful to God's calling. Son, finish strong. I'll be in heaven. You finish strong. Amen. And you know what? We're finishing strong. Can I get an amen? And that was David's heart. I'm not going to be here, but I want you to, I want you to be protected. I want you to obey the Lord after I'm gone. I'll be in heaven. I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about me, but I'm burdened for you. And I want to see you do well. And that's the heart of every Christian parent. Amen. And that's David's heart here looking out for his son, even though his life is about to end. So point number three, there's a day coming when ministry will be in your hands. It'll be your turn Notice what it says there. So David, by the way, he keeps telling him, kill these guys with gray hair. I might have to dye my hair or something because <laughs> he don't like those gray haired dudes. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Now I noticed that it says he's rested with his father. And what's interesting, you see this several times throughout scripture that somebody will die and they'll say they rested with their fathers or they went to their people. And here's what I want to say about this. Your people on earth are going to be your people in heaven or wherever else you may go. Can I get an amen? amen? The people you hang out with, the people you are closest to are more than likely the people you're going to spend eternity with. Amen? Because if you're hanging out with the world and you're living with the world and you're pursuing the things of the world, you're going to probably spend eternity with the people in the world. And unlike what the world tries to say, you're not going to be shaking hands with all your friends in hell and having a big party. Can I get an amen to that? I'm, we're going to spend eternity together. Isn't that good stuff? Yeah. Amen. We're all going to be seeing Jesus at the same time. We're going to be around his throne singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. We'll be reminiscing about the COVID days down here and how God was still on the throne. Amen. We'll be able to see how God was working through things. We'll, we will know as we are known. We're going to walk with the apostle Paul, known by sight. Amen. Man, heaven's going to be better than we think. Amen can't wait. And the more, more loved ones I have on that side, the more I desire to be there. But long before I want to see my dad, I want to see our savior. How about you? Amen. One of my favorite paintings, it's, I don't know how accurate it is, but it, show, it says their first moment in heaven, and it's this girl embracing Jesus with both arms. And she's just hanging on the Lord and tears are running down her face. Your first moment in heaven. I'm like, man, that is so good. I can't wait. Amen. So David rested with his father's it was buried in the city of David. That's Jerusalem. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father and his kingdom was firmly established. David's life on earth comes to an end. A man for God's own heart. Flawed like all of us, but had a deep love for the Lord. When he sinned and was confronted, he repented. And now he's in heaven. He's in God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So now we leave David behind. I have to admit, when I was studying this, I got, you know, kind of sad my heart a little bit to have to say goodbye to David. 
Because I love, I, do, I just love him. I love him because, uh, again, he's a man for God's own heart, even though he wasn't a perfect man. And I love the heart of King David. And I love that my parents named me David because it always woke me. Every time they talk about David, I'd be all excited on the edge of my seat. So point number four, be a man of your word. Now we're going to see Solomon is going to have to start dealing with some of these people that David warned him about. And he's going to have to do it. He's just now been king. He's been king for five minutes. And already he's going to have to make some decisions as a king. Look at verse 13. Now Adonijah, who was he? He's his what? He's his brother. He's his older brother. He's the brother of Absalom. He's his older brother. And if you went just by who was oldest, Adonijah would have been king and not Solomon. And Adonijah had tried to take the throne. Solomon had forgiven him. Remember, Adonijah went and held on to the horns of the, of the altar and, and asked for forgiveness. And his brother Solomon gave him forgiveness when he didn't have to. And certainly, if Adonijah had become king, Solomon would have been dead. Now it says, And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Now, first of all, talk about be a man. He doesn't approach King David, his father. He waits until his father's dead. And then he goes in and doesn't talk to Solomon, the king either. He goes to Solomon's mommy <laughs> to talk to her. You wimp. Come on, man. What kind of man is that? Can I get an Amen. This is why we don't pray to Mary. It's better to pray to the Lord directly, amen? So he goes in to talk to Bathsheba, and when he comes, already she's like, are you coming in peace? She's fearful because she knew if he had become king, he would have killed her. So that tells us a lot about Adonijah's character, verse 14. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. She said, say it. Then, she, then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine? Well, is that concerning? You know the kingdom was mine? No, dude, it was never yours. You tried to steal it. It didn't belong to you. It was Solomon's all along. David had already heard from the Lord that Solomon was to be the king. You tried to steal it. It was never yours. This is already red flags coming up. He's going to complain about the fact that he had the kingdom for a minute. Now watch what he says. And this is, just, this is comical to me. The kingdom was mine and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom was turned over and has become my brother's for it was what? His from the Lord. Why are we having this conversation? It was mine for a minute. No, it was never belonged to you. And they all had expectations of me being the king. And you know what? But now they gave it to him. Why? Because it was from the Lord. So if it was from the Lord, it was never yours to begin with. And why are you talking to me? Now, he's going to ask for something that seems innocent. And Bathsheba, depending on how you look at this, is kind of going to be a yenta here. You ever watch uh, Fiddler on the Roof? They're the matchmakers, right? Now, watch what happens. So he comes and he says this. It seems kind of innocent. He said, now I ask, verse 16, one petition from you. She said, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you. You may be, that you may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. Who is Abishag again? Who remembers? She's the electric blanket. <laughs> I, want, I do. I want to start an electric blanket company and call it Abishag. It would just be perfect. 
If you weren't here last week, they literally brought in a young woman because he couldn't get warm at night. He was freezing all the time. Nothing would warm him, and they had her lay next to him so he could get warm. So Abishag was his electric blanket. And it says that he never knew her. There was no physical intimacy. There's a very good chance, though, that she might have become one of his concubines, which meant he would have provided for her and cared for her. She waited on him hand and foot. She fed him basically until he died. So now he comes and wants Abishag. Why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? Knowing scripture a little bit. The next king would often take the, the wives and concubines of the previous king to show that he's in that position of authority. And so he's asking for David's concubine for himself. And this is one of his many ways that he's trying to be, make it look to everyone else like he's the rightful king. And so in doing so, he's got nothing but shady. Now, it does say of her that she was a very beautiful woman. And it said of Adonijah earlier, that he was a very handsome man. And, and some believe that Bathsheba was just like, well, they would be a cute couple. I'll go ask. <laughs> That's not like I think a woman would do. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just so cute together. I could, yeah, they would have beautiful babies. Let me go ask my son. Let me see if that's okay. <laughs> and she goes and asks him, watch. So she gets over on him a little bit, but guess what? She's not going to get this past Solomon because Solomon had already told him when he ran away for his life. What did he tell him? You guys remember? Go and be, basically paraphrase, go and be good. You'll be fine. You, you start, you know, getting political again. We're going to have a problem. You start making any inkling at all, like you're trying to get the throne back uh, or trying to take the throne from me. You're going to be dead. And he sent him away. And so, so Adonijah could have just gone home and had a family and been fine. But some time has gone by and now David's not here anymore. And so he thinks I can pounce on my little brother so give him noogies, now I'm taking the throne, right? I'm going to go pounce on my little brother, and I know how I'll do it. I'll first, I'll take one of the concubines that should belong to him. Thankfully that he's got some more wisdom than to fall for this. Verse 18. But Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. You guys will be a cute couple, I can't wait. Bathsheba therefore went to, the king, to king Solomon to speak for him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on the throne and had a throne set up for the king's mom. He had a throne sitting next to his for his mother. And she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition from you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I'll not refuse you. Can you imagine if your mom came to you and said, you know, honey, can, there's something I really want you to do for me. Can, what, is it, what are the chances you say no to your mom? Slim and none. And he's saying, I, I think he can't even imagine. Mom, whatever you need, no problem. You know, dad's not here, just us. What can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you want from me? And notice what happens. The tone's going to change. She said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Um, and King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now, why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for 
Adonijah, ask for the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Why don't you just give him the whole kingdom if you're going to take one of my concubines away? Now, some people actually believe, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but enough of the commentators said it, so I'll at least mention it. Some believe that this is, you know, it says Shunammite, Shulamite, Song of Solomon, Solomon talks about this woman that is is the love of his life. And some believe it's this woman right here. And some believe that he's got eyes for her and she's beautiful to behold and she belongs to him. And now his own mom comes and wants to take this woman away and give it to his brother who had already tried to steal the throne, who's now trying to steal a woman that probably was a concubine of her father's and now is a concubine of his and take her away and give her to his brother. And, and Solomon sees right through it. This teenage boy, Solomon, looks right through it and says, I know what he's up to. He's trying to steal the kingdom from me. Notice he mentions uh, Joab and right because they were the, all the ones that had gone and helped him before. It was Joab that helped Adonijah before. It was this priest that had gone and helped him before. And so he said, why don't you give it to them? They came against us before, just, just give everything to them. You know, you, know the, you know the source of real wisdom? Spending time on your knees and spending time in God's word. Can I get an amen? amen? That's how you learn to have discernment and to recognize when something's really coming from the Lord or not. So apparently Solomon is aware that this isn't just an issue with Adonijah, but involves the other two major leaders who sided with him. And he knew that, man, I've been king about 15 minutes and they're already trying to undercut me. They're already trying to, to make themselves look like they're the leaders and not me. They're already trying to take away that which belongs to me. And they're on their way to trying to take away the throne. The king said in verse 23, the king Solomon swore, by the Lord saying, may God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. See, he had told him, don't get political, babe. This paraphrase, don't get political. You know, I, I spared your life when you were hanging on to the, you know, to the altar. And I told you, just go live your life. Be a good boy. Don't get involved. Don't, don't be a threat to me. You can live your a long, happy life. You become a threat to me. You become an enemy to me and you're not going to live. Doesn't take much time. David's gone a minute and a half. He's in Bathsheba's house. He's trying to get this woman away from him. Solomon sees right through it. And Adonijah's days are numbered. He violated the promise that he had made. Be a man of your word, is what I wrote there, because he had made a promise that he would do just that. Verse 24, now therefore as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death when? Today. Today, he learned that from his father, didn't he? Remember they tried to take the throne and he had given word that it was supposed to be Solomon after he died. And when he saw the threat to the throne, he said, no, no. He got a burst of energy. He got up out of his sick bed and he made a command that Solomon is going to be king today. And he put him on the throne today. By the way, you know when the best day is to serve the Lord? Today. As soon as I get these eight things done, then I'll start serving the Lord. There's always a reason. We're always too busy. Guys, you need to put God on the throne and start serving him today. Amen. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaniah, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. 
Benaniah is, is basically the royal guard. His main job is to protect the king's life. He was one of David's mighty men. This guy's a warrior and a half. This guy's a great fighter. And so Solomon calls for him and says, you need to go take that guy out. And he goes down and does it. Now, again, you read stuff like this and you think he's being vengeful. No, he's being faithful to the command that he had given. He's protecting the throne. It's like a, a saboteur is coming in to take away what God had given him and righteous judgment came. A lot of people don't like the Old Testament because they see all this kind of stuff. Guys, our God is a, is a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, and he's also a righteous judge. Amen? If he doesn't judge sin, he's not holy. And because he's holy, he must judge sin. Well, let's continue on. Look at verse 26. Be gracious whenever possible. He said, and to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord before my father David and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Bithar was another person that had sided with Adonijah. So it was Joab, it was Adonijah. Abiathar was a priest. So he had a priest that was going with him and was making sacrifices for Adonijah for him to become king. Word gets back to Solomon that someone who had been a part of his family and someone who was serving alongside his father who carried the ark in front of King David had betrayed him. But notice in this case, because he is a priest, because he had been a faithful and a godly man and been used mightily by the Lord, he's, he's, going, he's willing to overlook this one decision that he has made and give him an opportunity to continue to live. Now look what it says in verse 27. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord. He spoke concerning the house of Elijah, or Eli at Shiloh. Um, it's interesting that in 1 Samuel chapter 2, after Eli's, you remember Eli's boys, what a mess those guys were? And they were getting drunk in the Holy of Holies and sleeping with women in the Holy of Holies. And they were taking the ark out into battle and they were a train wreck. And they were told that the priesthood would depart from their family. And this man Abiathar was a part of their lineage. And guess what? He was removed from the priesthood and it was a fulfillment of prophecy. See, the Bible's always right. Can I get an amen? It's always right. And that's why we should read it. I would just love for somebody in one of these debates we've got going to just quote some scripture in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen to that? My people who will call by my name will humble themselves. I know that's about Israel, but we're going to be a godly nation. Let's step up and let's point people to the Lord. If you want to attack God and his word, you feel free to do so, but we're going to stand for it. Amen? So he shows him grace. Maybe he's changed his heart. Maybe some more grace coming. Now let's see. <laughs> Finish up. Verse 28. Your sin will find you out. The news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took the horns of the altar. Where have you seen that before? We saw it in the last chapter. Joab, who was a mighty warrior and a great, uh, a great soldier, had... Again, not always been faithful to what David wanted. He was fearless in being loyal to David, but at the same time, he would make decisions for David that were not what David wanted. It's what he thought was best for David, but not what David wanted. He now hears, oh, wait a minute, Adonijah's dead? 
and I was going to be like his main guy, I better run down to the tabernacle and grab them horns while I can. <laughs> and so the way the law worked, if you went down and grabbed a hold of the horns, what you were proclaiming is that I am innocent and I need to go before a judge to get my situation rightfully looked at. The problem is he's not innocent and the judge is Solomon. <laughs> he's got a problem. So he runs down. Now, here's the reality. There's some people that will hold on to the things of God, but they really don't know God. Amen? They really don't have a relationship with God. There are people that grow up in a Christian home and they've got the Christian background. They know what the word of God says and they know, hey, run down to the altar, run down to church when things get bad, now, go to the Lord in prayer. But they know about God, but they don't have a relationship with God. And Job runs and tries to use, while well, he was, again, acting contrary to God's command for Solomon to be king. And now look. He runs and holds on. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, for he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent, who's this guy again? Benaniah. What did he do last time? He killed Adonijah. He's becoming the enforcer. It says, the son of Jehoiada saying, go strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, I'll die here. And Benaniah sent word back to the king saying, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. See, Joab knows, I let go of these horns for five minutes, I'm done. I'm not coming out. And Benaniah had enough respect for the tabernacle, they didn't want to kill him inside the tabernacle. So word was sent back to Solomon. I wonder how Solomon's going to solve this. Look at the next verse. Verse 31. Then the king said, do as, I, do as he said and strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. The Bible tells us again that if you shed innocent blood, so shall your blood be shed. And the nation that does not bring vengeance or justice for the innocent blood, the blood is upon them. And guess what? We've got a lot of innocent blood that's upon our nation. Can I get an amen? Tens of millions of babies have been slaughtered in the name of convenience and birth control. Amen? And that is innocent blood, and that's upon our nation. And how can we say God bless America when we don't bless God? Can I get an amen? So we shouldn't be surprised that our, our, our nation's going through the trials that we're going through. They're blaming it on, on climate change. I think lightning has nothing to do with it, and I think the, it's all on us. Can I get an amen? We need to obey the Lord and honor him. Verse 32, finish up here. It says there then, so the Lord will return his blood on his head. I've already read that. Oh no, will return his blood on his head because he struck down the two men who were righteous and better than he and killed them with a sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel. Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. So he killed these men. And these were David's loyal men, and part of it was Judah's concern that they might take his place. And it says in verse 33, Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab, upon the head of his descendants forever, but upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. Verse 34, So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. So he did show him some level of 
of uh, honor by allowing him to be buried in his own home, in his own area, because he did faithfully serve David for a long time. But guys, we can faithfully serve for a long time, but if we go out and commit murder after that, we're still going to be judged. Amen? Because we've been faithful for a long time, <coughs> does not give us an excuse to be unfaithful. And the king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in, the place, uh, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. If you remember that these were two of the people, when everybody else ran to Adonijah's side, these two guys stayed. They were with Solomon. They didn't go to the party. They didn't go to the parade. They hung out with them. And now that Solomon is king, he knows he can trust these men. And so Benaniah has taken Joab's place. He's now his general. And Zadok has taken the place of Abiathar the priest. Final point. Know that a man's true character will reveal itself in time. We get to talk about Shimei. Here we go. Let's finish. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go from there, any, go from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, you shall surely die. Your blood shall be upon your head. And Shimei said to the king, this is a good saying, I like this. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So these other guys are dead. Shimei comes in, he's probably shaking in his boots. He's like, we're not going to kill you, but you got to build a place in Jerusalem. And you're not allowed to leave the town. We're putting you on house arrest. And you can't run back to your people because he's a descendant of Saul. You can't run down to the Benjamites and try to mount up an army to come and take the throne. So I don't trust you. I need to keep an eye on you. You stay in Jerusalem. But if you leave Jerusalem one time, you're dead. And Shimei's like, sweet, because I thought I was dying today. So I'm in. I'll take house arrest. House arrest works. It's better than being put to death. But watch what happens. Now what happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish uh, at Gath to seek his slaves. This is 30 miles away. He didn't just like kind of get out of town a little bit. He went 30 miles away on the back of a donkey. That took a while. And he went to go track down his slaves. You know what happened? Here's, here's, here's the key. He stopped respecting the authority of King Solomon. He thought he could just do it anyway and get away with it. That's the problem we have in this world today. People do not respect the authority that God's placed over us. Can I get an amen to that? We're burning cities to the ground. We want to defund the police. We want to do things that are just out there. We just want to break the law because we want to do it and we don't care. And then they're shocked when they get arrested, Right? <laughs> They're putting me in jail. That one judge cracked me up. It didn't stand, but he gave every, every rioter a million-dollar bail. <laughs> Whoops, we're not getting out anytime soon. They went to another judge, and they got out. But the point I'm making is the problem we have in our country today, the problem we have in the world today, is there's a lack of respect for authority. In Santa Cruz, when the, most, the bumper sticker everywhere was question authority. And as Romans 13 says, we submit to the authorities God's placed over us and we give them honor because God placed them there. The only time we disobey them is when they tell us we can't obey God. And then we tell them we're having church. Can I get an amen? But here he is and he just thinks he can get away with it. 
And by the way, if people think they might get away with it, they'll do it. Do you know that kids are gamblers by nature? If you swat them nine out of 10 times, but the 10th time you don't, they'll take a chance. It might be the 10th time this time. I'm going to go ahead and have me another cookie when they're not looking or whatever, right? And so that's why we need to set down strict discipline laws and set down, this is what happens when you break it. Why? Not because we dislike our children, but we want to raise godly children who understand authority and who want to walk in obedience because it's what's best for them. Can I get an amen? So now he disregards the authority of King Solomon. A teenage punk's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to go get my slaves back and jumps on his donkey and rides off. Now watch what happens. We'll finish. Then and Solomon was told, verse 41, and Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And the king sent and called him in. Did I not make you swear by the Lord? And warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, The word I've heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? By the way, when you make a, a, an oath before Almighty God, when you make a vow before Almighty God, you better keep it. Can I get an amen? Whenever I do weddings, when I do premarriage counseling, I always let people know you're making, this vow is before Almighty God. This is not, we'll try our best and then we'll bail out if it doesn't work. Amen? We need to be faithful to the vows we make before. Look, there are some who've been married and the other half abandon you. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm just saying that it, it, do, do your best to be obedient to the vows and the commitments that you make. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Amen? If you make a commitment at work, you make a commitment at anything you say or do, you be faithful to it. So he says to him, you made this commitment. And the king moreover said, Shimei, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father, David, therefore the Lord will return the wickedness to your own head. You know what? I was willing to cut you some slack for cussing at my dad and throwing rocks at my dad and mocking my dad and saying the things you did to my dad. And then my dad cut you some slack when he came back to town. And my dad warned me to keep an eye on you. So I, I put you in a place where you could live a long and healthy life. We just gave you one rule. You can't cross over the Brook Kidron. You can't leave the city. And you crossed over it anyway. And now you're going to be shocked when judgment comes. Here it is. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehida, and he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Tell me that would be a great movie chapter right there. <laughs> Amen. So, King Solomon's only been a king a little bit of time and it's already kind of messy. And sometimes, guys, when we serve the Lord, it isn't always easy. Can I get an amen to that? Sometimes it, it, it takes discipline. We need to make a stand for the Lord when nobody else will. Sometimes we'll face great opposition. So giving ministry away, first of all, prove yourself a man. He says to his son, obey God and walk in his word. That's for all of us. We need to obey God and walk in his word. Be faithful to carry out your father's unfinished work. Look for opportunities to continue ministry that's already started. There's a day coming when the ministry will be in your hands. It's our turn. Be a man of the word. Be a man or woman of the word. Again, uh, righteous judgment is holy. Be gracious whenever possible. Your sin will find you out and know that a man's true character will be revealed over time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We thank you for your word that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that even these events that took place 
over 3,000 years ago. They have such great application to our own lives. Help us to receive the counsel that Solomon got from David for our own lives, to be men and women of God, to make a stand for you, to be unashamed of you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand.